Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. I'm a host producer of the program. I'm Paul Riesmanella, and I'm another host producer. I mean, I think we really should start considering Jennifer. I mean, she's really a producer at this point. It's true. She's not here today. So she's I not here today. So we don't uh, we don't have to. Jennifer up. Waits is our uh, is the third part of this triumvirate. Uh, and then Matthew Lassar, uh, when he is back and ready, will is another part of the uh, of the, yeah, the quadrant the podcast quadrant. Yeah, exactly. Our our colleagues at RadioSurvivor dot com, and this is this is the sound of strong communities here, and this is our little community. Uh, always though, glad to to broaden to open the circle to to keep making it bigger and bigger and bring more folks in. There are only two microphones that are on, and we are the ones who are te- speaking into them. Yes, today it is just Eric and myself, and I think we have we have a little bit of follow up, and we'll talk a little bit about podcasting. Uh, we, we're not sure. Uh, it's kind of a dust up podcast. We're sort of gonna yeah. We're just gonna um, uh, tie up a few loose ends from the previous weeks. I have I want to talk about the NPR One app. Okay, that's so, what I want to do. So we'll talk about that in a minute or two. Uh, first, I wanted to talk a little bit about Carrier Current AM. We got a, we got a, a fair amount of response. Uh, based upon the two episodes ago uh, when Jennifer uh, Waits was on and she was talking a little bit about the history of carrier current radio. So right. She was, finally drilled down into into it with, in a longer segment with you. Yeah. That was uh, a, a topic that had been popping up almost every time she toured a college radio station. It had carrier current in its past. Yeah, if not every time, every other or every third. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, to refresh people's memory, uh, Carrier Current is low-powered, legal, unlicensed AM broadcasting. Old technology. Old technology. Dates back to the 1920s and 30s, where you send a low-power AM signal through uh, electrical wiring, through water pipes. Anything metal in the building? Kind of anything that, that is conductive that already exists in the building. And so that everywhere this, whatever it is, like I say, it's a water pipe, everywhere it goes for a few feet around that water pipe, people can receive the signal. But unlike a big transmitter, it it is only where that water pipe goes. Matthew posted, uh, unrelated, Matthew posted that uh, a a small cartoon that someone had drawn from uh, the earlier half of the 20th century with, with a college student with uh, some sort of wire tied to the pipe in his dorm room, oh, wow. I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't see this. Yes. So he, can you, you'll, you will have I'll to share that up, in the show yeah. notes, radiosurvivor.com uh, slash podcast. Um, so that, that was the technology. And, you know, for much of the 20th century, when uh, students tended to own radios and AM was dominant, um, it was an inexpensive a uh, way to have a student radio station and and with a little bit of clever engineering uh you could do repeaters so as Jennifer mentioned that there would often be a retransmission in like different dorms so yes. everybody in the dorms could turn in their radio to this to an AM frequency it was ideal it. for one building and then you'd have to sort of yeah, jury some engineering. It to get it to the next but, building. But that it was done and, and could even be, you know, done on other buildings. And you wouldn't need a license because it was only really broadcasting for a few feet within a, a college dorm. And she mentioned that even the uh, FCC uh, went so far as to allow these carrier current stations to reserve their call letters. So even though they weren't actually licensed, they could actually have their call letters reserved. I don't think that happens anymore. But it's a technology that has sort of declined 
uh, with one, the decline of AM radio, uh, two, sort of the decline of of students actually owning radios, I think. Um, as well, the AM band is it's, it's much more uh, interference laden, as we've mentioned many times here. Uh, so it, it it's gone down. And, and finally, there's a no, there's a new outlet for student radio. Yeah, the internet. Yeah, the internet radio is very popular um, and unlicensed as well, and and you know right. requires it gives you a broader audience uh, p- potentially around the world, um, even if it isn't just sort of uh, ubiquitous and confined to a particular area or on campus, since most college students are wired up. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we did talk about that, and we received quite a bit of a response about that in about Part 15 in general. This is the whole notion of legal unlicensed broadcasting. If you use a small enough power on the AM or FM dials, uh, then you don't need a license, and it can be completely legal. It just – you're limited in your scope. And we'll – I think we'll have some guests on in, in, in the coming – in the coming weeks. There's still more to come of Carrier Current. Well, not just Carrier Current, but Part 15, I think, broad, more broadly. So carrier current is one kind of part 15 broadcasting, but there's all these different ways to do uh, unlicensed legal low power broadcasting. Part 15. Part 15 being the category. Part 15. No, as we talked about last time, if Uh you were paying attention, um, part 15 is a section of the, uh, of the uh, federal communications act that defines acceptable interference. And so basically when you have an unlicensed AM transmitter, it's acceptable. What you really are is you have a thing which is generating, as far as the FCC is concerned, interference. So if I have a thing in my car that broadcasts from my phone to the radio, that's a part 15. That's part 15. And so provided that it generates no more than a certain amount of power, it's legal. Neat. The the stuff inside your house that that – yeah. Okay. So it also covers – so if you look on the back of just about any piece of electronics or look at the – and you'll see right. like a little FCC, Part 15 approved. Oh, yeah. And that that's means what's back there. That's exactly back there. But Part 15 covers AM, FM, and, and pretty much every piece of spectrum has Part 15 requirements and limits. And so anything – Eventually, jargon will sink in. Yeah. And then I'll be a much less uh, interesting podcaster to listen to for <laughs> outsiders because I'll no longer <laughs> yeah, question true. you. You, you, do, you, do, you do really help us stay uh, – keep, keep from being impenetrable because I've, I've actually listened to – I don't know if it's still on. There was this, like, this engineering uh, – <laughs> radio engineering podcast. Sure. Engineers are special. And I, I, you know, I've hung out with radio engineers. I've done a little bit of light – repair work and engineering. Um, I've assisted with things like changing the massive power tube in a, in a, in a 10 kilowatt trans massive and super high current. You fantasize about starting up your own part 15. Yeah, I've done, all, I've done a lot of these things. I would never, I'm not an engineer. So I would listen to the show and I, I was lost. I was lost in no time. Of, That's saying a lot because if, they if just, Paul di- Reese Mandel couldn't follow what radio engineers were talking were just, about on a podcast. They just dived in immediately using, and, 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 and part of it is that the, is that the, you know, there's a jargon and then, and then they will use just sort of brand names or part numbers like, okay, well, uh, Chuck, weren't you, uh, you were dealing with that FMT 99.6A last Why week. Why waste time trying to include <laughs> outsiders when you could just Same thing happens in, in, in photography podcasts. Uh-huh. There's one I particularly like. I'm not going to call it out, um, but it's for, it's for film photography. 
So it's, you know, basically talking about older cameras. And it's usually pretty good. But there's one day they just start launching and talking about a particular brand of cameras and just start mentioning model names. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of camera that is. I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. And then, but then there's a... And all I had to say was, oh, that's a twin lens reflex. Oh, that's an right. SLR. That but, uses 35 millimeter film. But, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was walking around. I wasn't going to go uh, look it up on the on the Google but you can go. Out. You can go too far. You can go too far and explain You're everything. Too pedantic, yes. And then nothing's left. I was uh, at a the comedy show that we're at the at the theater where I volunteer and spend all my time and create podcasts and think about it like I used to think about radio stations. So it's not out of the ordinary for me to bring it up. And they were having a big show, and there was one couple in the audience who weren't regulars at the theater, mm-hmm. and one of them, I'm assuming, was an immigrant to this country, a recent immigrant. I'm just going to assume that. I'm the, and uh, her partner that was there, not not a life partner, just the person that she was at the show with, uh, had to explain every joke. Because <laughs> of the cultural and, yeah. and linguistic uh, intricacies that might be easily lost on, and I on felt, someone not I familiar. I felt so bad for both of them. Because she probably was getting more than he was giving her credit for. Who knows? Yeah. You know. But every joke, every joke at this that had the entire audience in stitches was an inside joke if you were uh, not born and raised in the United States of America, basically, or or probably, you know, uh, similar cultures, Great Britain and Australia. Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. Those people might also still be laughing. Maybe even Canada. Well, also Mexico. Mexico, like, yeah, Mexico's sure. close enough for jokes, except, oh, yeah. yes, this, this woman is- You have was, a language barrier, but no, I mean the cult- yeah, but yeah, I mean, cultures become so global now. I don't know. She was probably not from Hong Kong. Yeah, but you know, sometimes cultural references, I mean, would be lost between America and I'm Great Britain. She was America from China. And Canada. So anyway, don't overexplain things. Canadians love to make fun of 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 people from the United States over the 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 stuff we don't understand about their culture. So. Now I want to know all about that. I just want to hear a Canadian so, podcast where they just talk in a way that I am clueless no, so about what's going on. I don't know on. if it's still on the air. There was there is this comedy show, classic comedy show in in um in Canada called uh called uh, This Hour Has 30 Minutes or This Hour mm-hmm. Has 27 Minutes. So now our Canadian listeners are going to hate me because I did no research and I'm just doing this off the top of my head. But they had a segment called Ask an American. Send us emails right away. Hate so, away. We'd love to hear from you. And their segment was called Ask an American uh-huh. where they go somewhere, probably Detroit or somewhere close to like Toronto and ask them a question about Canadian culture and laugh at them for getting it wrong. It's uh-huh. a bit like like the old jaywalk segments on The Tonight Show where they go and ask people questions on the street in Burbank. And the most infamous one, and now even it's so dated now that I think it won't be as funny to Americans, but this was during the 2000 presidential race. Mm-hmm. And they they interviewed George W. Bush. Then then I think it was still he was not even the nominee. Yeah, just a leading. He uh, was just primary a, candidate. He was just yeah. a primary candidate. And they and they said to him, uh, you know, Mr. Bush, uh, have you heard that Prime Minister Putin has endorsed your candidacy for the presidency? <sighs> I and, know what Putin is now because I am a, a member of the Portland street food uh, <laughs> I think culture. Many Americans now. Yeah. I, I mean, I had, there was Putin. I didn't know before I moved to Portland what Putin oh, was. Oh, no, I knew it. Because so Putin been, was showing up in Chicago menus. I've got you know, five years seven, worth years of experience ago. with Putin on, on my delicious French fries, food cart French know, fries. But they, of course, playing on the fact that in Canada, it is a widespread delicacy. And in, at the time in the United States, not well known, except for maybe some people who lived up uh, in the borderlands. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, they said, what do you think? And 
George W. Bush says, you know, well, thank you. I appreciate Prime Minister. Can, would, and they basically say, would you like to tell what would you tell Prime Minister Putin right now on camera? Would you address? Oh, and they're just goofing on him, you know, for not knowing what Putin is. So uh, that is an example of of Canadians uh, having some fun at the expense. Where of, were we? Of their southern neighbors ignorance of their culture. We were talking. We we're about talking about part 15. Part this 15. is all because I had to re-explain part 15 to you. <laughs> and I'm glad you did. So, uh, so we got an email. We, 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 we will follow up and do more about part 15 broadcasting in general because there's several permutations and I think our interest and because it's opportunities, I think often, even in school environments, still, if not carrier current, but through some other uh, means to do some broadcasting without a license. Yeah. It's a, I, I, my, I, I haven't decided yet why I'm so excited about it, but there's something about the ability to micro broadcast, to broadcast to a building full of people. It is that exciting. has me really excited. If there was like if there, there there just seems to be other opportunities to use the technology, this ancient Well, I mean, it is used technology. right now by real estate agents to right. talking houses. It used to be used in gyms. Uh, right. you know, so people cuz what they back before you had a little personal TV, you would have a TV everyone could see and you would they would either have radios. You could bring a portable radio and tune it to a frequency to get the sound um, used in, in drive-in movies. Uh, it's just it – is, it is hard to imagine why Wi-Fi won't work mm-hmm. except for the fact that I guess eventually you, you're, you're asking everyone to have a phone in their pocket and you're also asking uh, – Them to know about it. Yeah. So let's talk – I mean if you think about that sort of – if you're talking about like a, a, a sort of um, – a limited field of, uh, of a geographic field, right? And you wanted people in that limited geographic field to hear something. Yeah. What would you, you put up signs that would say, you know, pick up your phone and listen to this. Can you imagine people? I mean, right. their beha- just the way people's behaviors, can you imagine they would pick up their phone and, and tune in on tune in radio or whatever app they have to a particular signal because they happen to be somewhere. Well, also, I guess the other real problem is, is that like, if I'm if I live in the basement of the building and I have uh, an important message for everyone who lives in the building, the, the irony of having to send it to a server somewhere else in right. the city or in the world and for them to get it back from that server well, and, and mean, the Internet has to work that day, even though I'm only a thousand feet away and could have broadcasted to them right. with this other technology. I mean, if everyone's on a shared network, you could set something up that right. doesn't that, that only uses that shared the local network. area network. Yes. This is um, the local area network of the uh, 1930s. Now, this is going to be such a crazy conversation, but this is good. So <laughs> I actually – so uh, when I lived in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois – so this is now going back uh, – when did I live there? I moved away in 2008. So it was eight years ago. But earlier in the 2000s, uh, there's a project which is still going on, uh, which was uh, the Champaign-Urbana wireless network. And the idea was to create a mesh network right? that would cover – uh, much of the, uh, the 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 city. So these this is the home of the University of Illinois, and there's a pretty good like progressive political and media community there. There's two community radio stations. There's Urbana Champaign Independent Media this Center. This was a thing in America in the aughts. Yeah, where before before iPhones were ubiquitous, ubiquitous. Yeah, before the mobile internet was obvious. But Wi-Fi had just been invented. Lots of cities. I was in Berkeley when Berkeley was considering setting up. 
a municipal Wi-Fi but this network. Is, this would not have been a municipal one. Yeah. Okay, so there's a little different idea. So rather than just being like, oh, the city of of Urbana is putting up public Wi-Fi, the idea would be that you would be able to create is basically cover the city in in the network. But it'd be a net mesh network, meaning that there's a way for let's say I could volunteer. But maybe I'm a homeowner near downtown. I say, oh, no, I'll host a hotspot. Right. So it'll go on my Wi-Fi. It'll go on my internet network. But and I'll contribute bandwidth to it but the whole thing will be its own network so in theory you could have things that were only available on that network and it wouldn't cost money to the to internet access because it wouldn't go over the public internet it would be its own mesh network and nobody would would, uh be downloading uh hollywood blockbusters yeah what i mean you know i I don't think i don't know i actually don't know the status of the project i know that it actually still kind of exists but um you know but the idea would been yeah so that you could create this sort of mesh so that kind of everywhere you go you would see this network and you could get on with a laptop at that time or or the few and listen to indie media or what or access the internet or but that you could also make resources available that were not that that wouldn't cost anything in terms of internet bat- bandwidth because they would be um, exclusive and this is I mean so you know, so a best example is many many companies and many universities uh, have an intranet they have a local area network right. on their campus with resources that are only available in that internet uh, for security reasons sometimes but also for bandwidth reasons so. If you're live, if you're in a dorm and you're watching, uh, let's say, like videos for your class, uh, that with luck, you know, if it's well configured, it may be only coming from across campus somewhere. Sure. And so it doesn't cost anything in terms or of like the, the handouts, bandwidth. the printed, yeah, exactly, the printed all material, come, yeah. right? And in some cases, it's firewalled, meaning all that stuff is only available when you're on campus, either again for security or bandwidth purposes. So, I mean, you know, the, you could do that. You could set up a, an internet radio station. Uh, on a closed network, and because it's unaccess- inaccessible to the wider internet, uh, you know would would not require you setting up a server somewhere else, and really wouldn't cost you the same money, the bandwidth to serve it over the wider internet. That's all plausible, assuming everyone's on the same network. But the likelihood of that happening, let's say in any given building, you know, in in like a city somewhere goes down and down, right? There's less, less likely that everyone's sharing that network. And to sort of say, hey, everybody use my Wi-Fi to listen to my station is almost two steps too many yeah. to, to, to do that. Because you could like offer an open Wi-Fi hotspot and offer an internet radio station on that Wi-Fi hotspot uh, to anyone who comes by if they wanted to listen, but that's two steps and unless they have to know it exists. Um, and it would probably be easier just to use a part 15 AM or FM transmitter in that case. So that that's sort of coming around full circle. The idea of why that's sort of attractive is the idea is that, yeah, you could have a neighborhood radio station or even like, you know, a, a section of a neighborhood mm-hmm. or a building that have a radio station that serves its needs or is just fun or whatever uh, that, you know, really causes no interference, causes no problems and costs very little money to run and costs no money to acquire except for the equipment because of the fact that you don't need a license. And so that's when I mentioned, These I think, in the last conversation. These things should happening in elder care homes. That's a good place. A whole sub-community, which we'll have to get into, of people who are into the Part 15 broadcasting are people who are into antique radios 
and into uh, like old time uh, radio drama and stuff. So they're folks who, who get transmitters specifically so they can kind of feed whatever they want to into their old time antique AM radios. Yeah, because yeah, that yeah, because you don't want the uh, cognitive dissidence of turning on your antique radio and listening to Rush Limbaugh. And hearing, yeah, hearing uh, hip hop R and B. You're not going to hear 40. much hip hop R and B on a on a on an AM radio these days. Well, okay, only AM. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you won't, but uh, the good, likelihood. Yeah, good thing is all but, oldies. But you would you would you would hear mostly uh, you know Rush Limbaugh and and uh, Hannity and uh, a lot of uh, sports radio. So anyway, we'll we'll follow up Weird on that because I think it's I think it's great for I think you know for people to learn more about it because it may be an opportunity, but it may you find stations. On, on a future podcast. So coming back around uh, an hour and a half later, no, only only 15 minutes later, uh, we got a, an email from one of our listeners who is in Pittsburgh. And uh, you'll know who you are. I haven't, I'm not mentioning uh, – well, I, I guess I can call – he uses a pseudonym, so I think we can go with this. Pseudonym is Boomer the Dog, uh-huh. who's from Pittsburgh. And uh, he says that uh, – I'm assuming Boomer is a he – uh, so I'm sorry, but yeah, I don't really know. It's sort of, uh, so they, they say that, uh, there is at least one carrier current station, uh, that, uh, they know about in Pittsburgh. Right. Because we, well, we put out a call at, on that yeah. podcast and as well in the show notes that if you, we, because the FCC doesn't, uh, have, uh, a list of carrier current stations. No, no, almost nobody does. And the internet doesn't. So it's quite possible that Radio Survivor should be the house of that list. Right. <laughs> so, so he sent us uh, information. There is one station that we know of now. Yeah. Boomer says that uh, Point Park College Point. advertises its WPPJ, which is AM 670. Um, he says they have an active studio with live DJs heard on their stream, uh, but he hasn't tried to tune in their radio signal for some years. He isn't sure if the transmitter is still active or not, but he assumes that it is. Um, and then he says there were a couple of other current, cur- current stations in Pittsburgh's history. Carnegie Mellon, WRCT, which is now on FM at 88.3, uh, made a name for itself on AM 900 decades ago. Uh, WPGH was on AM 640, Boomer believes. Uh, that's the University of Pittsburgh. And then they got an FM station in the 80s, but kept the AM system running for a while. Many people do because why not? Why not, right? Uh, and then uh, as well, he thinks that Duquesne Student Radio, Duquesne University, uh, may have had one uh, – I may have had a student run AM station, AM current carrier current because they had a kind of professionalized FM station. Um, and then he also mentions that the green tree drive-in used to have one at <laughs> AM five thirty. Right. Because that's, that's one of the, my favorite uses of leaky cable carrier current. Are they they're the same thing, right? Can I say those interchangeably? They're not quite, but they're very close. Yeah. Yeah. They're very close. Basically the same technology. Uh, yeah. Cause if you're at a drive in, why not have the, the movie soundtrack broadcast to the car radios? And Boomer owns and operates oh, an AM carrier current station. Um, and I responded, said, well, you know, how, how far does it go? It's in Boomer's house. And Boomer says, it actually, so there's, you know, your electricity is actually connected to somebody else's electricity. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and then there's, I mean, I'm again, way outside my expertise in terms of engineering, but there's only so many houses for which this is true. And then there's some other uh, thing on the pole, which will sure. separate. It's why, it's why a neighborhood 
can has a power outage yeah. together. Yeah, but it, it it's a little more complex than that because it, it it they're subgroupings basically. Mm-hmm. And Boomer said, "Yeah, it actually uh, goes out a little bit past my house, and you can hear it along the power line." <laughs> And, you know, but it's carrier current. So, uh, you know, I don't I, ostensibly it's legal. I, I don't want to say more about it because I wouldn't want to put uh, I want to want to tell more about the operation. Than, it's than up to Boomer to with. reveal the details the of details. his carrier current. Uh, Boomer AM does. Radio Boomer station. does have a blog <laughs> and does talk about it. Um, and it is a uh, the equipment that Boomer uses is a TCU 30 transmitter coupling unit. So, so we're getting uh, into the engineering podcast that I would listen indeed. to. <laughs> I no, no, that no. seemed to be that seemed to be acquired eventually. It previously had been owned by Southeast Missouri State University sometime in its in its deep past, going back to the 1960s, probably. Neat. So he got a hold of a, a used piece of equipment and put it to good use. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's making these anymore. I mean, you could make one yourself, but there was a point at which there was a commercial market for these things, uh, and I haven't been able to find one. Although you can, though, there's a commercial market for the. Free air broadcasting uh, part 15 transmitters. Those are fairly easy to acquire lots of places. So that was kind of interesting. We'll do more follow-up. Maybe maybe uh, Boomer will, will tell us more. Yeah, filling in the details filling of this in the carrier details. current landscape that's and sort of a forgotten history. That's, that's why we're doing it. Yep. That's why Jennifer dug in. Exactly. And here's a, a little bit of a positive, a positive news. And this is sort of – this is uh, on, in community radio. So in college radio, cuts across these things. Um, last week, unfortunately, we reported on Hastings College's uh, station, which has gone dark. Um, it doesn't have a buyer, as far as we know. There's no one stand, wait, waiting to get the license yet. Wow. Yeah, it was a relatively new station. In and so, uh, 1997, I think. Yeah, yeah. so it's just – yeah. So it's like – anyway. But, but Let's listen to last week's episode. Yeah, just listen to last week's episode. you don't know how, why I'm – But there's a pausing. station in Tacoma, Washington – which was owned by the Pacific Lutheran University. Different college radio station across the country. Yeah, and it and it's more of a uh, public radio station in that way. It's not really a student-run station. It's jazz, blues, and NPR. But beloved in Tacoma. Yeah, Tacoma, uh, in, Tacoma is, is a, a between Seattle and Olympia. Yes, so Tacoma is a city of, of three, four hundred thousand people. Uh, south of Seattle, shares an airport. Uh, big, so a big uh, port city as yes, well. Yes, indeed. Um, so apparently, the station quite beloved in Tacoma, and there was some and and the uh, Pacific Lutheran University was going to sell it. Had plans to sell it to the University of Washington. University of Washington operates up in Seattle. Operates in in Seattle. Operates KUOW, which is the uh, the big NPR affiliate for Seattle. And there was some concern that uh, much of the programming on KPLU would not be preserved with the sale. Mm-hmm. That so some people would lose jobs, and uh, that there would be a change in the nature of the of, of the station. The concern would be uh, more homogenous radio content for the community yeah. of Tacoma. I think that it would sort of become the the uh, just K U O W Tacoma. I you think know. I think I'm about to put you on the spot by asking a question you don't know the answer to. That's okay. Is there was there an existing NPR affiliate that you can hear in Tacoma? That well, uh, KPLU is an NPR affiliate, so they do both NPR programming, jazz. And, oh, okay. So they the all things considered would they'd still get their all things considered, but now they'd lose their local their jazz, jazz programming. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I actually don't know their schedule. I don't know if they actually. Uh, as well as the possibility of uh, people who know how to pronounce the street names, that whole yeah, that whole, no. So uh, KPLU carries Morning Edition and All Things Considered, 
uh, fresh air, but then has jazz mostly the rest of the day and then okay. blues on some specialty shows. So, so the sale jazz was in the works. Was in the works. And then a community group, Friends of KPLU, approached Pacific Lutheran University and said, if we can raise the money to buy it from you, will you sell it to us instead of selling it to the University of Washington? That um, seems like a pie-in-the-sky dream. And the University of Washington, to their credit, said, well, yes, if you can make that deal happen, we'll oh, step aside. Wow. Well, I suspect in this University of Washington – their stepping in to buy the station had probably was at least a little bit to do to make sure that the station stayed on air and continued to be a public service station. Huh. Because uh, a lot of other buyers for a station might have been uh, like a large Christian network, which would have changed the very nature of the signal. Whereas University of Washington was promising to, to not make, you know, to, to preserve at least some of what KPLU was. Um, and so, they went out, and in six months, the friends of KPLU raised $7 million. Yeah, I want to know how they did that. 18,000 donors. Me. So <laughs> eighteen that's a lot of people. But did they throw parties? Did they already have friends? Did someone who previously ran for mayor pull I'm this sure, off? <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot, and I don't know enough. Uh, I just wanted to point it out because we haven't talked about it, and it's one of these stories I've been meaning Where to Where did they generate their list? That's well, a good I mean, list of Tacoma people. Well, uh, uh, KPLU was already listener funded, mm. right? So, I mean, so they had access to I'm the sure KPLU. They had, I'm community. sure they did. I don't know this for certain as well, um, but it's kind of unprecedented. Alumni of the uh, Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm just yeah. grasping it. Possible list straws. Yeah, so uh, that's that's a great story. So it's a great story that because we care about local control of community radio. Well, right, and 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 you know, or or this sort of community slash public radio kind of universe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know it shows that there's opportunities, and that this opportunity, I think, is at least possible because everyone was talking to each other rather than making recriminations. Right. And, and only protesting. And I understand when people protest. And I understand the recriminations. But there was a lot of talking. Now, people, granted— People get angry when the radio station that they had taken as a part of their lives— And maybe supported financially yeah, for decades Yeah, is all decades. of a sudden threatened uh, with disappearing without a trace from right. their lives. So I think that this is also a, a kind of lesson for license holders, for university schools or, or other nonprofit organizations that may currently have a radio license that they're starting to think is a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the assumption is often that uh, their only recourse is to go to you know a supposed market in these licenses. And there happen to be uh, groups in both uh, public and sort of other areas of non-commercial radio uh, that more actively make offers on licenses that are looking for these opportunities. Uh, and I think often, you know, a university uh, – you know, board of directors or board of trustees or president, that's all they think. That's the only recourse they think they have. And I think what this demonstrates is, in fact, there may be this third way. Mm -hmm. Uh, This way, so, you know, the two ways being, one, they just turn off the lights and the station goes quiet. Two, they they sell the license to, to a willing buyer. But three, that to give an opportunity, and I think in an open sort of way, to a community group, to come up with the funding 
to take over the license. Did you say the – I don't know if you said the dollar amount yet. That was the most impressive thing that you and I talked I about. I did. Yeah, I Se- did. It was It's $7 million. I, I know we talked about it prior no, to – No, no. I said it here on, on the show. There. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and there's not a lot of precedent for this. Actually, a previous precedent, which is an even much more substantial amount of money, is WNYC in New York. Right. WNYC was owned by the city of New York. And under the Rudy Giuliani administration, uh, the city wanted to sell off the license of uh, WNYC AM and FM. A wrinkle in this is that WNYC FM is at 93.9 FM, which means it could be a commercial station. Valuable real estate. So the number of willing buyers for a, a powerful commercial FM frequency in New York And the number one media enormous. market. Yeah. And what he wanted to do was to basically auction it off. And a community group came forward to create a nonprofit around WNYC to buy the station from the city and cre- and continue keeping it as a public radio station and uh, not letting it simply become uh, another commercial station in, in New York City. And, and, of course, the station exists today, and it was much more money, but and, – and one of the people who led that uh, – who led that fight is Laura Walker, who is the current CEO of uh, New York Public Radio. So there are there is some precedent for this. And in and, and, and sort of being New York City, the number one media market, um, WNYC was one of the biggest stations under the ownership of New York of the New York City, you know, even even before it became an independent organization. That seems like a kind of an outlier. And I think this KPLU situation shows uh, that it's even possible in, in a smaller city with a smaller station. And just imagine in a place like Hastings, Nebraska, which is a much, much smaller city, um, it probably would not require $8 million for a community organization to come forward and create a station around its former college station. It could probably require, you know, just a fraction of that amount of money, uh, to start a nonprofit to run a new kind of college or community station in Hastings. I think these opportunities do exist. Of course, Look, it's not simple. I'm, I don't. I don't intend to say like, oh, just raise a million dollars. No, it's it's that's a fantastic and amazing feat that the friends of KPLU pulled off to be able to do this. A lot of collaboration between a lot of the people involved. But I don't think they could have done it if Pacific Lutheran University weren't willing to to consider the offer, and the University of Washington weren't also willing to to sort of be a party to it, to at least allow it to happen. Um, but but so what I mean to say to any any college president or uh, board of trustees at a university is, so if you're starting to think that your station is a burden, I mean, we have all sorts of reasons why we think it isn't and why we think it's an amazing educational opportunity and great community service. But if that, that is still no longer convincing to look to the community that benefits from your station and see if there isn't a way to keep the station as a community resource in a way that, that very much mirrors how it is, Right. Without it, you know, having to go off the air, become very different. Like if that process started even earlier, rather than having to be sort of even in this case, closer to a last minute project, closer to a a sort of saving, saving the baby from the from the house on fire, um, then we we might see this this great preservation of of community and and college radio uh, happen more often. Right. And, 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 and part of it is sort of everybody sort of being committed to, I think, the community service aspect of 
of these stations, of, of college stations in particular. So I just I just want to hold that up as, as a possible model and say that there are other ways. Um, and uh, there are options. None of it's going to be easy. The status quo in most of these cases – for in many ways is probably superior to to keep the stations on air <laughs> at their communities and universities and to maybe uh help reinvigorate student involvement which has happened at a number of stations um to help you know uh reinvigorate you know community staff and faculty involvement that is probably the best possible scenario but if that cannot be pulled off for some reason then you know I strongly urge uh, any educational licensee to to try and see if there isn't a local group that might exist or might be formed to take over that license to help preserve that that public service radio. That's nice. That's a nice story there at Pacific Lutheran University. We should and probably reach out to those folks in Tacoma and well, learn our, a little our, bit our more. Friend, uh, our friend Sabrina knows them. Uh, remember, she was that's right. She they, joined us from KPLU when she was on the show a few weeks ago. That's Sabrina Roach of Brown Tape Paper Tickets. Yeah, she was sitting. She was sitting inside that very radio station. So it was one of these things. You know, it's it's it was difficult to know what to report or, or how to report or how to frame it. I, I never was able to kind of. Uh, it was always I, I knew this was going on. Right. You know, and, and we received the particular crisis of people who would like to know more, and it, it just sort of I haven't had the time to to report on that it. So now that I know that it pulled off, I want to make sure. Survivor. Well, yeah, radio station communities uh, all of a sudden find themselves in crisis, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, really difficult to and, understand. And people do inquire and ask us to look in and try and bring. Um, Try and bring some reportage. And, yeah, full time reporting is required, and that's that's exactly the thing we keep running into. It's not that we don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> it's not remotely that we don't want to, or we're not interested. It's I've been aware of this situation. Even for to a while. write three accurate paragraphs mm-hmm. might take six hours of reporting. And, and let me let me uh, say that current dot org, uh, which is the sort of the newspaper of of public radio, did some excellent reporting on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they've really. I'll double check. I don't know that they've had a chance to really dissect the 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 mechanism that that effort. But they've been reporting on this situation quite clearly since since it first came to light, and credit is due to them. Because uh, I think that they uh, do that good work, and in, in part, you know, th- this is part of you know their their. F- Sweet spot, spot community of their focus. service though as well. Yeah, they, that they really focus on public radio. And I think this is ostensibly a public station, so they do that good work. But there are questions that people have had for us, like how do they pull this off? Like what's the mechanism, or you know what 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 made what made Tacoma different than cities where the station uh, was lost, like in Santa Cruz, for, yeah. for all intents and purposes. Like what is the difference between that? And that's a wonderful comparative study. And to understand kind of what might be some differences between those two cases would be great. But wow, yeah, require, good pitch. would require a lot of reporting, oh. which we would love to do. <laughs> but as we will m- mention to you, we are volunteers. Uh, we uh, bring in some money through our Patreon co- uh, campaigns, which is a monthly uh, recurring giving campaign. And we're really grateful for it because it means that we're able to pay for the hosting for the podcast. We're able to pay for the hosting for the website and not just pay for the hosting, but to pay for a reliable host. We used to be that sometimes we had problems with the site or we go down for a little while because uh, traffic would get too high or there'd be some glitch. We now have a very reliable host, which Paul would, takes more would, money. would write some some mysterious secret sauce article or that we would, just or we or we get a 
distributed de- denial of service attack or <laughs> that some, would happen as well. Or we would get overwhelmed by spam comments and that would take us offline. And so we now have a very reliable host because it requires more money and yeah. we can now afford to pay for it and pay for some incidental expenses. But we're not remotely close right now to being able to pay for, you know, for basically journalism to happen right. for, uh, you know, really good reported journalism to happen. So we do our best to try and bring people in and talk with them and we may get someone in to talk about KPLU uh, on the show. But, uh, you know, that's all additional effort. So anything you could do to help us, to help us basically be uh, this resource for community and community style radio, low power FM, college radio, you know, to kind of be that complement to Current. Current does a fantastic job reporting on public media and they often report on, on community media as well. You know, and that is they definitely do that. And and when they and they have the opportunity to do so, they do a great job. But their primary service is to to folks in public media, which is still a different segment of radio. And while there is like the NFCB, National Federation of Community Broadcasters, which provides some direct service to community radio stations, this idea of a news service, this idea of sharing all this information. Um, it, it isn't quite there yet. And we, we try. We really try to contribute and we hope that you appreciate what we do. But to do more, we could really use your help. So that's my pitch. Uh, and, and the best way to help is to contribute to our Patreon campaign to make a pledge of $1, $5, $10, $20 a month, something that you can afford. And that's because it allows us then to really to budget. Right. Instead of, you know, and it's great if you can make a one time donation, which we accept via PayPal of five, ten bucks. Please, we appreciate it. If that's all you can muster, we'd love, we'd love it. We'll really appreciate it. It will really help. But when we can sort of anticipate that we have X amount of dollars coming in a month, then we know we could allocate it. Because if we're going to, you know, bring on somebody or, or pay someone to report, oh, we want to make sure we can actually pay them. And we want to make sure we can pay them a fair wage for the work that they do and, and really, uh, and really respect. Uh, people in and around uh, community radio and who have that passion. Freelancing isn't free. Freelancing is not free. So go to radiosurvivor.com slash support and we'd really appreciate it. And hey, uh, also, if you could rate us at iTunes, that'd be great. Right, because that's the other way you can help. And 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 rate us at Stitcher. So I've learned now, <laughs> in part, uh, full disclosure. Full disclosure. Stitcher is now part of the company I work for, we my day full job. full disclosure theme song midroll media uh now owns stitcher which is the uh podcast listening application the original podcast the original podcast before there was itunes podcasts and really be when people just first when they smartphones just first existed there was stitcher but what i've learned is that um Stitcher generates quite a bit of listening. Hmm. You know, it's it is the second most popular podcasting app after uh, iTunes or Apple's uh, native podcast app. But that the podcasters who send uh, people there, you know, who who actively advertise their existence on Stitcher, tend to do pretty well. Like it 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 does generate more listening for them, um, and that is something I've learned. Now. Fascinating. So I I think we'll get our Stitcher <laughs> can, link up there. Can I ask a really dumb sure. podcast question. If you if you put you know I know how to put a podcast on iTunes. I submit mm-hmm. it to iTunes. I know how to put the feed out there mm-hmm. for people who don't use iTunes to subscribe to. Do you have to submit your podcast yeah. feed to Stitcher? Yeah. So and that's because Stitcher uh wants your permission. Oh, okay. Right, of course. <laughs> huh. I'd never bother to do it. Yeah. I I've done it. So Radio Survivor is available on Stitcher. Oh, thank God. Um, so I've done it, but we haven't really uh, advertised it. We haven't really uh, – we don't have a Stitcher link uh, there. 
Um, whereas, yes, every other podcast platform besides iTunes and, and Stitcher for the most part. They'll just take that feed. Well, because there's no centralized server. So it's up to you as a podcast listener to put your feed into your into your thing, whereas iTunes, Podcasts, and Stitcher both have this existing database of, of podcasts. I'm going to go home and put all my podcasts on Stitcher. Yeah, and I think um, TuneIn Radio is actually another platform that uh, is based upon submissions. So if you actually go to TuneIn Radio, uh, either TuneIn.com or have the app, uh, you can search for podcasts and they're there. And it's kind of nice because the reason why I like TuneIn for podcasts sometimes is it works with Chromecasts. It works with... Oh, okay, so you can, br- you can put it onto other devices. It works on a Sonos. It, it's integrated in a car dashboards. It has we all- are seamlessly segueing into the yeah, exactly. next segment. So, uh, and so it's kind of a nice place also for podcasters. I think there it's literally you have to email somebody. The last time I checked. Huh. Uh, Tune in is my go-to uh, radio. I'm but- always very disappointed in radio stations that for for one reason or another, whose stream does not function on Tune In. Well, there is a one background. big portion. I love the background. Me too. I like Tune In quite a bit. There's one big portion of stations that are not on Tune In right now, and those are stations. As it goes back a few episodes earlier this year, uh, Radionomy. Right. Radionomy is not an online radio app. It's a terrestrial radio with online streams app. No. Well, I mean, but it, basically, like if no, I mean, Radionomy is an online radio. No, I meant to say that tune in. I think about tune in as being the place to go to listen to terrestrial radio stations on the Internet. But you're saying now that there's a giant chunk of Internet only radio stations that tune in doesn't. And, and, and terrestrial stations. Oh, Radionomy is a terrestrial as well. They don't care. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. They don't care. Neither does tune in. So tune in has has. Tons. T- tune in is a is is a directory of online radio. Uh-huh. A lot of it is terrestrial. Yes, but you can find just about any online station. Yeah, there. I guess I'd never really thought. Radionomy about it that way. offers in the U.S. free streaming to anyone who wants it, which could include a terrestrial station, but. They require they you have to meet a certain amount of listening hours. So if yeah. you're not popular enough, they'll drop you. And as we've talked about in the past, there's something. Radionomy is being sued. There's something mysterious by U.S. The- music uh, by U.S. music labels for non-payment of royalties. So they allege that Radionomy is not currently paying the necessary performance royalties. In the United States. Right. And speaking of reporting, you had, you had attempted to report the facts of this story and had not gotten a sufficient I, – I didn't get a response from Radionomy. Yeah. The, Radionomy's I mean, they, website they, their says – Their comment was non- com- no yeah. comment. Radionomy's website says we're, we're taking care of it. Yeah. But you wanted a little more information and it was not forthcoming. And then, and then when I emailed them directly about this particular lawsuit, we, they said no comment. We don't comment on you know lawsuits that are currently in progress. So Radionomy – uh, is not, not on, on TuneIn. TuneIn, tune in, uh, I think, and I'm not sure exactly the mechanism there, TuneIn decided to no longer list any radionomy stations because of the uh, fact that they're being sued by the uh, recording industry uh, for non-payment of royalties that they allege. So uh, TuneIn covers quite a bit, but there's a huge swath there. And there are terrestrial stations in the U.S. that use radionomy. Oh, okay. So, um, so those cheaper. stations... 
because not only cheaper, it's free. Yeah. But there's that big <laughs> caveat right now. Um, and so you wanted to talk about NPR One. I installed the NPR One app on my phone, which is weird that it took me so long to do it. Uh, because I'm. And what is NPR One? NPR One is the National Public Radio uh, app. Well, but it's sort of more than that. Well, gosh, uh, I just put it on my phone two days ago. Oh, no, it was yesterday. <laughs> I've only been playing with it for one day. Uh, so what is it? What do I know it as? I know it as the thing that NPR built that they won't talk about on the airwaves because <laughs> they don't want to. They were, that's, a, that's another story entirely. It's a place where podcasts and NPR, all things considered, news segments are uh, streamed to your phone uh, in a way in which uh, it's supposed to be personalized. So, for instance, uh, when I put it on my phone, it very quickly assumed that I was a listener to the Oregon Public Broadcasting. Because it knows you're in Oregon. Yeah, which it was accurate. Yes, that's my station of choice. Thank you. And now, in addition to All Things Considered, uh, three-minute news stories, seven-minute news stories, I also get OPB, three-minute news stories, seven-minute news stories, in my in my and, and what's stream. the and, and what's the user experience like? Like when you're listening, yeah. What you happens? Can, you can you 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 can either let it go mm-hmm. and just send you. So <laughs> yeah. it's sort of like Pandora, <laughs> right? Actually, it's sort of like Pandora where you can skip, and sort of like Pandora, they would really rather you not skip. I think uh, you know Pandora starts to penalize you if you skip too many. If you don't oh. pay for it, if you don't pay for Pandora and you skip a certain number of songs. Uh, they they'll cut you off from the well. Skip that, that's ability. actually that's actually because of legal requirements for Pandora. Uh, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Well, NPR One app, uh, the like maybe the fifth time I tried to skip was like, hey, it, it gave me this. Uh, not not a PSA, but like a it was like a cart. It was like a, a it was interstitial content, and it was two NPR uh, folks that I don't know who they are, but I'm sure some people do. Uh, like, hey, NPR One's all about you sitting back and enjoying the experience. Why don't you just sit back and listen? <laughs> but it still lets you skip. They yeah. just sort of kindly asked you not to. Yeah. Um, it, it has a button uh, that says interesting. So it's got a Sort thumb, of like a thumbs up. It's got a thumbs up button. It has no thumbs down button. Uh-huh. And uh, But interesting. I think so. the thumbs down button should be bullshit. Interesting or bull? <laughs> interesting or not for me? I it guess has, I'm not supposed to swear in our podcast, but yeah, anyway, it has an interesting button. It has a skip button, and it asks you what your local station is. Yeah, but that's it, as far as I know. And so for it sort of tailors it to you based upon. I'm certain the things that you skip are uh, are information, as are the things that you don't skip. Sure. I mean that's the inputs. If we think about it, if we just pull it apart, the inputs are. Where you are, yep. what it knows about you from that. Oh, you know, I also had to sign in with my social media account. You have to. Yes. You do have to sign in. And so I signed in with Google. Okay. So now it knows. You can't just create an NPR One account? It asked me to sign in with Google or Facebook. Okay. And then I think ugh, it was a little bit upsetting. Actually, when I signed up, if I wasn't motivated, I actually would have mm-hmm. quit. Because it didn't work right away when I tapped Google. So, so over that. And over. So, let's just think about this. Here's the information it has. It knows where you are. 
you know, because your IP address and that geolocates you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, and I think you have to choose right because I a think station a primary station because there are people who like say move away from the Bay Area, but you know still only well, really want to listen to this, KQED. We're skipping ahead, but I'll be happy to talk about it. I really wanted to choose KQED mm-hmm. as a secondary primary I see. station. Uh, I really wanted to choose WNYC. As mm-hmm. a secondary primary station, I really wanted to choose, but you can't. Uh, a Los Angeles public radio stations of my yeah, I wanted I wanted a lot of different urban NPR experiences. But you can choose one, and you can only choose one. Well, and so go. I I'll, I'll go with my uh, the my resident. I don't know this, but I suspect that is probably to some extent a way to keep the affiliates happy. Yes. Oh, d- oh, definitely because we've we've. I think we've briefly discussed it on this podcast, and it's also a major story in the in the world in which we live in, uh, the public radio world, that uh, there's concerns about this bleeding donations away from the local stations. Listeners more than – I mean, ah, I think right. that, that generally speaking, first and then yes, that, their dollars that, later. That, uh, yeah, or that there are some stations that benefit more from yeah. online listening than others. So yeah, it, the, the app pumped me for money already. On day one, it asked me to donate right away. So there's that. And um, well, I think we've laid the groundwork for Why do you like it? Why do I like it? I I was actually quite – I do want to time shift my listening. I love to – I do listen to OPB and I enjoy – To live NPR. Yeah, and I enjoy hearing that in my car. But there are definitely times where – uh, I want to get back to certain stories and I want to skip other ones. And so having that power, having the ability to hear the the top, I'm always happiest at the top of the hour mm-hmm. as a radio listener, as a, as a news. When you get the news and public headlines affairs. and the shortest stories. Yes. I always ask the people in the car with me for, for a little break from the conversation so I can focus on that top of the hour and so to be able to hear that top of the hour when I want to conveniently actually is a is a nice And how do you like the other stories shift. that it, that it feeds you the the not top I, of the hour broadcast. I would like more power I would like I I'm asking the NPR1 app <laughs> kindly it'd be interesting to figure out how I could give it feedback I don't know how to I don't want to hear certain sports I don't want to hear about the Olympics unless it's about well, you the skip people it, of, right right but it, but it's also um, not giving me the option of saying, "Hey, you know what I like? I really like the occasional science story." I have to wait for the science story to pop into the feed to click interesting. Well, so you know what Steve Jobs would say. Steve Jobs would would say, "You don't ask people what they want. You tell them what they want." Yeah, we'll see. And I'm not <laughs> – right. no, and I'm really serious about this uh, because I think that there is this – you know, so like one of the things that happens often in sort of consumer marketing, consumer products, right, is is they will they will focus group things to death, right? You get like 10 citizens together right. Right, right, right. and they sit in a room and they, and they evaluate some product and they take their feedback and they turn it into a product, right? And and then and then they step back and go, why did why did no one like coffee flavored Pepsi? Why did this not work? Yeah, right. So you need people with with strong, yeah. Well, I I can say that in the world of public radio news and information, 
I'm an expert in what I, I well, want. But so then, then I think the counter question is, so why not just create a feed? Why don't you want to just gather the feeds you like? You can get the NPR top of the top of the oh, hour yeah. headlines. You can get segments from All Things Considered. Like, and I think you could do. I mean, not to shill. I think you can do this on Stitcher. Oh, cool! <laughs> you know, um, and I, and I don't think that's the only app you could do that in either. Yeah. So um, I guess I am I am happy. So if you want that level of fine grain control, yeah. I think a podcast app offers that to you. It does if you want to take the time and do it. I have to play more with Stitcher then. Because there's also, you know, I'd be curious um, to wait what you think. iTunes doesn't give, as far as I can tell, at the moment, the iTunes podcast app because it's separate now. Uh, it's just a big fire hose. I've actually broke. This is not what I had intended to talk about because it's very pedestrian and personal. But I have subscribed to enough podcasts on my iPhone's podcast app that I've broke the app. It does not function as it should. And I think it's because I subscribed to so many podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's a flaw in me as a listener that I actually care about more than 10. I use an an app called Overcast. Yeah, I like Overcast as well. Okay, well, it allows you to create a playlist. Yeah. Which doesn't have to be a feed, right? You can create a playlist of the things you like or want to hear. I guess I need to to muck around more with these things. You know, so it's funny because I say I want one thing, but when it comes down to it, if it does take me 25 minutes to learn how to use the new thing, me I'm too. already disinterested. Well, and so now I think that that's illuminating because if you think back, you're telling me, okay, you like NPR one, but you wish you had all this control. And yet you're kind of telling me, I have this control, but it takes too much work for me yeah. to do that. Because I think that this exactly this is exactly the the problem that I think so many people who develop apps for uh, for people or develop products of any sort is people will say, "I want control, I want this, I want that," and 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 they do, but at the same time, often uh, what they really want is a much more simple experience. Yeah. Right. I want both. It's like, and I, and I think, you know, it's like folks are like, I want to be a professional photographer. So I'm going to go buy a fancy SLR and I buy the fancy SLR and it always stays on automatic. Right. (laughs) I want to know that I can change all these things on it, but actually what I really want is to be able to put it on auto and have it just take good photos and not have to worry about it. And the fact is that that good SLR on auto will take really good photos pretty consistently and there'll just be some edge cases where it doesn't quite do what you want it to do. And that's sort of the, it's sort of the, the phone camera, right? When you have a, when you, on your iPhone or your Android device, your camera by and large out of the box, you can take a picture, right? And maybe there's a flash, right? And, and it doesn't really give you a lot of controls and you can buy apps. Usually that'll give you all sorts of controls and allow you to do all sorts of things when you take the picture. But for the most part, people don't want to mess around. They want to take it out of their pocket and want to take a picture and they may say, Oh, I wish it were brighter. I wish it were whatever, but, but whatever. But most of the time, simply getting it on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook is much more important than all of the messing around. And I think that's probably the case here with something like NPR one is like, Folks, sure, I want to be able to select my interests and I want to do this and I want to do that. Um, but then then it's really just sort of a generic podcasting app. I mean, obviously with only NPR content. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure, I mean, I, I, I'm sure the people who run NPR One 
have wrestled with this. I, I doubt right. that this is a something they haven't thought deeply about in terms of the user experience. Annoying meetings that they've had to fight for. Yeah, who yeah. knows? Wow. If they're lucky, no, no annoying meetings and no fighting. But, um, you know, because it's, 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 it's on the one hand, like you want that, but it's sort of you want it almost in, in retrospect, right? You almost want it to be like, hey, it seems like you're, you're – it seems like you're passing through all the sports uh, stories. Does this mean you don't want to hear about sports? They don't ask that though. But yeah. no, that's kind of what it right. sounds like. What you want is rather than have me specify everything, it's more a matter of have it kind of learn my behavior than check with me to see if, if what it learned is correct. I'm not, I still like it though. And I just realized just looking at it, they've sort of uh, buried it. But you can – search for shows and yeah. subscribe to them. Now, that's they, actually not the it doesn't look like the primary. They want you to sit back and and take the information. Well, yeah, uh, yeah I think so because I think what I mean, you know, if you think about podcasting, what we've learned about it, you're right, is that it is more of a more of a lean back experience, right? Shows tend to be tend to be an hour Half right. an hour, right? They tend to be turn it on and let it go, and 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 we all recognize that some of the, you might be washing dishes, you may be you might be driving, you might you know turn your attention away from the podcast for a bit while something else happens and return to it, just the same way you do with the radio in the car, um, you know, or in sometimes you know if you if you're someone who has a TV on a lot, you may not be watching TV, but it's on, and you turn your attention on and you turn your attention off, and I think NPR One is probably built around that kind of assumption that what you want is basically a radio station, right? It's effectively what it is. It's a radio station made up of NPR content that is a bit more tailored to you than what's coming over the air on any given station. I want a really good newscast. Right. Without filler. Well, but filler is, uh, as soon as, as soon one as man's they start, filler is another man's, yeah, I know. uh, content. As soon as they do 11 minutes on the Broadway musical Hamilton, mm-hmm. when I had been turned on my radio because I wanted to find out what was happening in Dallas, Texas. This is my, this is my radio listening experience this morning where I was like, wait, why is this happening? Why am I hearing this segment? They literally, anyway, that's, so that's when I really wished I had that skip button, and because I was, do. Oh no! I'm I was listening sorry. to OPB listen, on my, on my to, drive. To the live on my radio. drive out to the podcast, I uh, I was listening to Oregon Public Broadcasting, and they had actually preempted one program. They preempted Science Friday to give more news, and the news had switched over to talking about Hamilton, and I was very disappointed. Uh, oh boy! So our friend Ken Mills who was on the show a little while ago to talk about college radio. He's a uh, public radio uh, – at, uh, at this point, he's a, he's a, uh, a public radio consultant. Um, he publishes the Spark blog. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote something the other day on his blog, which I shared on the Radio Survivor um, Twitter feed. It was actually on Thursday, July 7th. I guess they had some really big storms in the Minneapolis area, which is where Ken lives. And when his power went out and he said his power went out and his cell phone wasn't working. So clearly even like the cell phone towers were out. Mm. Like immediately thing he did, he went to his AM radio. A real storm. Yeah. A real big storm. The kind that you, that you get in the Midwest. <laughs> um, I experienced many of them during my time there. He went to his radio and turned on WCCO AM, which is the big news station there in Minneapolis. Uh, Cause he wanted to hear about, 
what was going on. He said uh, 5.50 is when the power went out and he was there for two hours. So he turned on 8.30 a.m. He says, when I began listening to WCCO at 7.50, two guys were on the air, one in the newsroom and the other was host of a program about lake captains, lake cabins up for sale up north. Both were doing the best they could, providing fast-moving coverage of the storm damage. They were putting callers live on air with first-hand accounts of closed roads, local flooding, and where the power was out. It was simple and helpful to a guy like me sitting alone in the dark. Hmm. I learned why the power was off. An XL Energy substation had been hit by lightning. Uh, he was one of 140,000 customers uh, without uh, electricity, and he found out that the power company was working on it. Then... A bit, of ni- a bit after 9 p.m., there was an abrupt change of programming. The two hosts who had done a good job said they were leaving for the night. They said the next update would be at 5 a.m. That was followed by a few seconds of silence and an audible click. Next, I heard a brief musical interlude, followed by 12 commercials, one after another. Then... WCCO AM, a.k.a. The Good Neighbor, switched to a satellite-delivered talk show originating from a distant location. The topic was Hillary Clinton's emails. That is when I turned the radio off. WCCO AM had broken their promise and gave up on what had made them essential. Hmm. So I wonder if I wonder what the uh, if that was right-wing talk radio or <laughs> or not. Uh, please make a list of the late night left wing uh, talk radio shows on AM radio you mean the first. Ones about UFOs. <laughs> I don't know if we call that left wing. I know but that that's my joke. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Is that the the only time they talk about politics? That's not uh, the Rush Limbaugh style of politics. Is when so, it's the uh, Ken calls that piece the night WCCO AM gave up on radio. Aw. So yeah, right. It's a real thing where people turn to stations looking for information that the best they can. And- it's a distraction. But I just uh, in my Facebook feed the other day, a friend of mine uh, posted that he was able to pose a direct question to the mayor of Oakland over over the radio. And this was interesting because Oakland is currently, if you're not familiar, uh, just as a quick summary, uh, a real huge shakeup in the police force. And uh, the mayor's at the center of the story. Uh, And he was able to pose a direct question to her about this news story. And it was on the AM talk radio show. And we had a brief discussion about the media landscape there in in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area because it's uh, been so – uh, shaken up recently by by loss of uh, reporter in jobs. Particular. Yeah, so the fact that there was a functioning talk radio, they do still it does still exist, and yeah. and stations. Uh, I don't know anything about WCCO in Minneapolis specifically, but many of them during the day still have real talk shows. Even if they don't have big reporting staffs, they will still have a local host. I think KGO held on to theirs uh, in particular, you know, who might have someone like a mayor or, or yeah. other public official or other accountable person on and take calls like this still goes on. It still exists. It, it's sort <laughs> it's of it's endangered. It's endangered. Yeah. And and still so powerful, so useful. You know, uh, yeah. Rudy Giuliani very famously had his own uh, show, Colin show uh, during, while he was mayor of New York. Um, on AM radio, one of my on AM radio, uh, and uh, one of my favorite things. I wonder if I could dig out this recording I had because it's really funny. Um, 
for a while, the uh, New York City banned uh, the ownership of ferrets. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. And big go- government intrusion. He, but, but, but of course, it was Sorry. the supposedly small government, Rudy Giuliani. Right, all right. The one who otherwise wanted to privatize New York Public Radio. Like ferrets were illegal in California, too, at the time. Well, he, I have this great thing. He goes on there like a 20-minute tirade about weasels that is just weasels are not just losing his yeah. mind about weasels. People have this unnatural attra- attachment to these, to these weasels. But in a thick, you know, Rudy Giuliani uh, New yeah. York accent. Yeah, well worth, well worth the, the memory. The kind of thing we used to have to trade <laughs> back, back in the 90s. Uh, all right, but, but, we're way know, off course. Now. We are, we should, but we should I, wrap it back up it, soon. It's well, that's been the nature of this podcast today. Uh, Indeed, it's been fun, and for me, uh, I like Twitter better than Facebook. Even though I've been on Facebook more often, and the reason I bring that up at all is because Twitter still allows me to manage my feed with transparency. And that's yeah, and, and every, that's what they, I like. And there's the been best. these moments when they've walked up to the precipice, and it's been super upsetting to right. me, yeah, as a user of Twitter, to imagine that I would lose control of my feed. They can give me. I I don't mind being offered an algorithm as a choice. I'll check in with that choice. It's tough, but I want. I also want to make my lists. Mm-hmm. I want to search my. I like you know search the search people you follow function. I just was enjoying that this week again. Mm-hmm. It is just remarkable because I follow uh, thousands of uh, right. intelligent people. But you can make lists of them so you can follow, right. you know, go but down I can and also follow go, specific people. I can people. also go to Twitter and search for specific things, mm-hmm. specific search terms. Hmm. And then instead of just getting everything off Twitter, which mm-hmm. is sort of a garbage fire sometimes, I just get the people I follow. And so instead of millions of Twitter users, I have a small thousands of Twitter mm-hmm. users that now I'm searching. And uh, because of the ridiculous amounts of time I've put into my Twitter feed, that's that's a f- really great group of right. people. The thing is, it's the ridiculous amounts of time you put into your Twitter feed. Yeah. Right? That, that's the trade-off, isn't it? And and I don't, I mean, I... I it's been years of uh, yeah. good stuff. And, and and so, you know, uh, can someone do that with their podcasts? And or, or especially could someone do this with community radio? Where's the NP, where's the NPR one of community radio that gives people that power? Um, wow. Well, you know, I, that's that just makes me think that some – there's a job at every station that's difficult to fill of the person who – chops up every radio you show. You mean a paid position that's difficult to Better fill? Better be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, then it doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> that, that, takes these, that takes these segments yeah. and edits them, tops and tails them, uh, gets the appropriate yeah. metadata in there and puts it on the internet. All of that hard work I mean, there's, there's is a, daily required to make this work. Well, the reason why it works at, in public radio they have, is because yeah. the, well, because they're doing it anyway. Mm. Be, right? They were already chopping it up well, yeah, the because the, the right they were already chopping. Well, one, they're already chopping it up because these are segments that are squeezed into the local portion of All Things Considered. Right. Right. So most of these stations have maybe a one hour locally produced program every day. Maybe not all of them do even. So most of these segments are at 
at you know at like the 30 32 minute mark or something during all things considered or morning edition so they are by their na- very nature already three to five minute segments yeah. that already had to be chopped up and already they had to write had to do all the uh, metadata because the host the local host had to be oh, able to announce yeah. it in had to have all of that data already ready to go so all the person at the I mean and I don't want to trivialize the extra effort but all the person at the local station had to do was now to hand it over with the proper metadata to uh to NPR but I would say you know my guess is 80 to 95% of that work was already done just to simply get those segments on air that work yeah that's hard work for right. community radio but so, right and, but for community radio when it, it, a lot of the folks aren't paid to begin with. That so already pro community, already uh, volunteer programmers, already volunteer reporters. Uh, that extra effort of putting it into a format that can be easily uh, used by somebody else or used by an app is is uh, is difficult. Um, difficult. The, 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 the funding off. gap between community and public radio is tremendous, even in the smallest of cities. There is a volunteer. I happen to know that they are a volunteer, and they do that work for a community radio station here in Portland. And I wish I I should find out who they are and like bake them cookies. Yes, send them because, bake them cookies, yeah. Because it I really appreciate the opportunity to click on the individual segments in this case on SoundCloud. Yeah. I get I get these individual segments on X-ray uh from their morning show. Uh, they they have legitimate news segments on occasion, and those are what I choose to listen to. That's what I would put into my NPR One app if it was available. And so when they have these legitimate news segments with legitimate newsmakers of a very local flavor, you know, Portland, it's Portland only. It's my yeah. community. Uh, those are the stories and that I— And it's tremendous I, that someone took that effort yeah. because that's it's, it, it went, you know, it's one thing if they could just sort of make it part of someone's job and they are getting paid for it. It's another thing when it's your volunteer, you've done this. Now would you do also do this other thing? And as we all know in our own lives, one more thing is not one more thing, right? And that is that it, it's, and it's, you know, something I'm thinking about now is uh, we're going I'll bring it up anyway. We're talking about podcasting. <laughs> so Libsyn, which is one of the major podcast hosts, okay, Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, um, they're one of the major podcast hosts. Super they, useful for beginners, I think. I mean, super useful, period. They're a good host. I I've, I just spoke with a friend of mine who's, who's thinking about getting into the podcasting mm-hmm. business. Not yep. business. He has a great idea for a podcast, and he doesn't know how to. Right. And I, I advised him to sign up with Libsyn and just go for it because – they will. They they do all the. It works. Yeah, they, it works really well. Yeah. for your for they, your one. And podcast. they host many of the top podcasts out there, so they are not. You pay them a certain amount of money. For, and it works. You need us. You need to get the slightly more than their basic deal because right. their basic deal sort of limits your data to a, to to, a, to a, you can't have a weekly show, but uh, after that, it works. Yeah. So, anyway, so they just offered a new feature which will automatically put your show on YouTube. Automatically package it as a video and get it onto YouTube. Weird. Um, and that I don't is even know if I like that out of recognition that that's an enormous audience and that there are lots of podcasts on YouTube. Yeah, and it's something which I've flirted with here and thought about here as a way to to grow our audience. Right. It's, I tend to feel that that would just get us a lot of people that would uh, click and leave. Well, but that's any, but that's everything. Yeah, right. It, it, but YouTube seems to be more of a one-minute world, and yet the 
and yet there are many very successful podcasts with with hundreds of thousands of viewers slash listeners that stick around for an hour plus. So it happens. Or Twitch, which is you know people playing video games for hours plus, and people Quote, stay unquote. tuned in. We watch. Uh, my son and I watch Twitch. Uh, there's a gamer who not only does he play, but he builds. So we're actually yeah. we're actually there watching him make video I, games. I would turn around that problem of YouTube and turn mm-hmm. it into actually something. It's a problem with podcasting. With podcasting, we still don't have a great environment for you to just click and listen for a couple minutes and decide to move on. There's a lot of steps still involved with getting podcasts, whereas YouTube is instantaneous. And that's the benefit of, you, of, of YouTube. Mm-hmm. So someone may click and listen and, and not like it, but because it's so easy to click, you, you greatly increase the chance that someone who's going to like it will click and listen Interesting. and, and still get it. Uh, and so I've definitely thought about uh, putting this on the Radio Survivor YouTube channel with a static image, I guess. Um, it's just that extra whatever uh, half hour of my time to uh, to create that uh, video. So the fact that Libsyn now is going to offer it as a uh, basically just a click and it goes – well, to see what that does, yeah, it's, it's, fa- it's really fascinating because it's. I mean, it gives you this channel. It gives you a whole other especially channel, especially if they help you count it. Of course, they I've do. always worried that you put something on YouTube and then you lose that. Uh... No, it's got a counter right there. Right. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. <laughs> I, I want. I want my one stat, my one fat stat. Yeah. I don't want to start slicing my stat pie up and thinking. Well, I had. And th- these guys over here on YouTube, and then I'm sure there's someone here. who will do that for you for for a price. I'm sure there's somebody who does that already for a price. We'll take all your stats from all over the place and put them in one big pile. It's so all you can look at it. It's all one view count currency. Yeah. So, but uh, and and you know you shouldn't get too attached to it. But anyway, I, I've wondered about that. Wondered if we shouldn't uh, have the Radio Survivor show on on YouTube just simply to make it more accessible. And again, you know, make it more accessible to people who use Chromecast or who use all sorts of devices that are very uh, YouTube friendly. Uh, where that's maybe the easiest way to to listen to something um, and to make ourselves accessible there. Chances are that listeners who are listening to our voices right now uh, would not necessarily need it on YouTube. We're talking about people that aren't – because I was going to say, hey, how about you? How about you, dear listener? Do you you need YouTube? Anything we've talked about, and there's quite a few things on today's show. It's been a a real grab bag. It's been a grab bag. That's good. Uh, Send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. As we mentioned, we we really do read the emails. We really do respond. Yeah, it's been a couple great ones lately. Really happy. And we'll discuss them uh, uh, if you you send some good info. Um, And, of course, you know, subscribe to the show. Get it, get it all the time. Don't have to think about it. Get it Subscribe on Stitcher. On Stitcher. Rate and review on Stitcher. Overcast, on iTunes, on Pocket Casts, on – I'm sure I'm missing some other major uh, podcast platform. Uh, I'll have to get us on a tune-in. I don't think we're on tune-in. So to get on tune-in and then on YouTube, I'll turn off comments though because I, I don't wish to enable uh, an army of 12-year-olds. You assume – you know, the 12-year-olds are probably a lot more polite. It's, perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Don't want, don't want to enable an army of. <laughs> I'm gonna. Speak. I don't want to enable an army of 18 year old men. Yeah, let's just be let's be let's be specific. All right, I think we're done. Thank you so much for listening <laughs> to us through to to pass the hour mark, and thanks, Eric, for joining me. Thanks, Paul. <laughs>